Luke chapter 10 this morning. While you're turning there, I want to show you a couple pictures this morning that came from our missionary, Beth Newton, who is in Haiti right now. And I want you to be praying for Beth. Beth absolutely got very sick on Wednesday down there, so sick that she passed out. Um, they had to like give her IVs, and, um, but she's doing better. But um, she, got a, she got food poisoning really bad. Um, having been to Haiti, I know what that kind of feels like to have gotten that. But um, as a veteran who has spent more than 30 years down there, it's kind of surprising. But it's been a while since she's been back. So. But you know, many of you know, that we took an offering at Easter to supply materials for them. And I want to show you the happy faces or a happy face of somebody who got... Uh, of a pastor who got this study material. So, Daryl, flash those up there. That is pure joy right there. That is a Haitian pastor who, who had a partial Bible, who now has a complete Bible. He has a dictionary, and he also has some commentaries. That is just pure joy. Show, me, show the next one, Daryl. This woman, I forget her name, Beth told me, she is the librarian. She is the one who ordered all this stuff for this man, Johannes, who is an 81-year-old German man who for the last 15 years has been in Haiti teaching these Haitian pastors how to pastor their churches. 81. None of you should be retiring yet. 81 years old. Show the next one. And there you go. There's, there they are close up. If you'll notice... They actually got the good stuff. They got them the, the MacArthur Study Bible. So the good stuff for those guys. So thank you so much for giving to that. Um, Beth said that you could not believe the reaction of the Haitian pastors whenever he walked in with that stuff. So that's really, that's really cool stuff. So Luke chapter 10. Um, if you're visiting with us, we're so glad to have you this morning. And you have caught us as we are in the middle of Luke. And we've been going week by week through the book of Luke. And sometimes it's good to remind ourselves of why we're going through Luke. And the whole point of Luke is Jesus said that he came to seek and save the lost. And he's writing it to a man named Theophilus. That's probably not a good name to name your sons, parents. But Theophilus is this guy's name. And he's writing to him. He's a Gentile, and, he, and we find out in the beginning of the book that he's writing to him to give him certainty about who Jesus is. This book is all about Jesus, and it's all about his ministry, and we're not going to see that any clearer than in the text we're in today as to why Jesus even came, why Jesus spent time here on this earth. And so this morning we come to a very well-known account. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. And, and probably I could parade you up here and one by one, and you could probably muddle your way through the story, right? You, you could tell the story, right? If, if you have little kids or grandkids, you could tell that story to your, to your kids or your grandkids. But I want you to do something for me this morning. I want you just to resolve in your mind to take a look at this text with fresh eyes. Because I think that this text while it's one of the most well-known texts of Scripture, is also one of the most misunderstood texts of Scripture. Just this week, I did a, something that I don't normally do, but I did it, and, and honestly, I don't recommend it. Okay, I don't recommend doing what I just did this week. 
I did a Google search of this text of Scripture, and I listened to different preachers from around our country who preached from this in the past year. Okay? So you know some of the things that have gone on in our world in the past year, right? You've got COVID, you've got social justice, and all this stuff that's been going on. A majority of men and women who preached from this text of Scripture took this text of Scripture as our cue as a church to become woke. To become woke. And I want to submit to you this morning, and if you know me, you know me well, I believe that every person on earth is created in the image of God, and they deserve rights, and they deserve privileges, and there should be justice for all. But this passage of Scripture is not wokeism. And, and, and if that's what we see here, and this passage also isn't about just doing good things for people because that's what nice people do. And if that's all we see in this text this morning, then we're missing the big picture here. We're missing the big picture. So to that end, I want to open us up in prayer. I know we prayed a couple times, but you know what? We're talking to the one who wrote this passage for us. Let's, let's talk to him one time and ask him to give us some understanding, okay? So let's pray, and then we're going to unpack this passage of Scripture this morning. Father, these are your words. These aren't mine. You, through the Holy Spirit, in the mind of Luke, had him pen these words so that today, right now, 2021, here in Johnstown, Ohio, we can open your word and we can set our minds on these things that you have written down for us. So give us understanding, we pray. Open our eyes to see amazing things from your word. You tell us in your word that it's a mirror that when held up to our hearts, it, it, it gives us a good picture of who we are. We need that this morning. We need the mirror of God's word held up to our hearts. We're gonna be afraid of what we're gonna see, but I pray that you would, through your word, do great change in our hearts. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So Luke chapter 10, I'm gonna read verses 25 through 20, or through 37 this morning. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to test, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on him oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii, or denarii would be like a day's wages, okay? So... Think about what you earn in a day. Took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, 
you go and do likewise. So it's easy just to jump into this part of Luke chapter 10 without thinking about what we've already seen. And last week as Aaron preached, he, he opened our eyes in the verses preceding this to see something just really amazing that God does. And, and he pointed our attention to the fact that God is sovereign. And what we mean by that is, is that God does whatever God pleases at whatever time God pleases in God's way. And you and I can't change that. Have you figured that out yet in your life? That God's going to do what he does when he wants to do it? And what God sovereignly has revealed to us just prior to this is, and in fact, I would just have you go back up and look at it in verse 21. Notice what God does. God chooses to hide things from the wise and the understanding and reveal them to little children or those with childlike faith. God chooses to do that. And so Luke now has, if you will, set the table. He's made this statement, and, and Aaron did a great job last week of kind of unpacking that for us and, and what that means. And, and, and let's be honest, that's kind of a hard pill to swallow, isn't it? That God, God sovereignly chooses whom to reveal stuff to and whom not to. So in light of that, now we've got Jesus and, and, and one of the things I want to point out to you is, is now he's not up in Galilee anymore like we've seen earlier in Luke. He's getting closer to Jerusalem. And as he gets closer to Jerusalem, it's almost as if the closer he gets to Jerusalem, the greater the opposition that he's going to face. And so he's moving his way down to Jerusalem. He's, he's close to the town of Bethany. We know that from verse 38, the next account that Luke gives. And so as he's working his way down, he's meeting opposition as he goes. And so... What we find here is part of that opposition voicing itself. In verse 25, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. So, so picture this in your mind. Get the, get the scene in your mind with me this morning. Here's Jesus, and somewhere on his trip, as he's working his way down through all the villages and, and, and working his way south through the land of Israel, he stops, and in, in we don't know what village he's in, but he stops and he's going to do some teaching, right? And as he's doing this teaching, there's a lawyer there. Okay? Elsewhere in the Bible, you'll find that this guy, guys like him would be called scribes. Okay? You ever seen the word scribe in your Bible? They were, they were those who understood the law. Their job was, was to know the Mosaic law, the whole Old Testament. And they were supposed to know it, and they were supposed to apply it to civic situations, to religious situations, because the law governed all of their life. Okay? So, so this guy really was a lawyer. Okay, some of you right now are, you know, thinking about ambulance chasers and things like that. No, not that kind of lawyer. He's just a, he's just a smart guy who understands the law, right? And so he's going to ask kind of a test question of Jesus. And here's the question that he asks of Jesus. Do you see it there in verse 25? What must I do to inherit eternal life? That's a really key question for a couple of reasons. Number one, it clues us in as to what this whole story is about, okay? The parable of the Good Samaritan is about inheriting eternal life. It, it, it's, not about, it's not about, oh, I got to spend my money and take care of people. That's, that's in there. But, but this whole parable is about what must I do to inherit eternal life? And that is a big question for us today, right now as we sit here in Johnstown, Ohio. The question that all of us has to wrestle with is, what do I have to do 
to inherit eternal life? How many of you would really like to know that answer? I'd like to know that answer. What is it I got to do to have eternal life? Make it simple for me. Now, from the scribe's point of view, his point of view was this. As, as one who understood Moses' law, this was his interpretation of it. I'm a good Jew, and as a child of Abraham, I am guaranteed eternal life. That's the way the Jews saw this. As long as I'm a good Jew, as long as I do the things I'm supposed to do, make the sacrifices I'm supposed to make, show up for the, certain t- the, the feast days at the temple, do the things I'm supposed to do, as long as I live a good life, a good moral life, I've got eternal life. i got this all, all figured out. Now, Jesus, you tell me what I must do to eternal, earn eternal life. How many of you think he's going to give them the same answer? No, he's not going to. I don't know if he's looking to trip Jesus up. I don't know if he's really seeking what eternal life is. Uh, Many have tried to read motive into this. I can't read motive into this. I don't know what his motive is. But I do know this. He asks a really good question. And it's a question that every one of us in this room needs to consider this morning. What is it I got to do to inherit eternal life? But in typical Jesus fashion... When someone asks him a question, Jesus turns around and responds with a what? A question. Don't you hate that? (laughs) Like, you're, you're like, you're like, you know, you're giving the third degree to your kids. What were you doing? Why does it matter? (laughs) And here, here we have Jesus Responding with a question. And it's a really good question. In fact, I kind of wonder if Jesus said it with a smile. (laughs) Basically, you want me to give you the Scarberry paraphrase of verse 26? You're the lawyer, you tell me. Isn't that what he's saying there? He's saying, what is written in the law? How do you read it? He's saying, take your Old Testament here, big shot lawyer. You tell me how I'm going to inherit eternal life. And now the lawyer who's seeking, and and he's, he's asking a stumper question of Jesus. Now he's put on the hot seat, isn't he? And I want to tell you, he hits a home run in verse 27. He absolutely hits a home run in verse 27. How do I know this? Because Jesus said, good answer. If it was a game show, there would have been a ding, 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 right? So verse 27, he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus poses a question, and now this guy gives the answer. And and, and, and in this answer, two things collide. Two things collide. And they're very important things. The law on one hand, because his answer is totally out of the law. His answer is totally out of the law. If we had time this morning, but we don't, I would take you to Deuteronomy chapter 5, where it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That's straight out of the law. Equally straight out of the law is you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You'll find that in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. Those two things are out of the law. And the guy has given a good law answer. In fact, he has summed up the whole Ten Commandments in that answer. 
Commandments 1 through 4 are all about loving God. Have no other gods before me. Remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. All those things. That's about loving God. And commandments 5 through 10, that's about loving your neighbor. Don't tell them lies. Don't commit adultery with them, right? Don't, don't, don't want their stuff. And so what he has done in his answer is he has summed up the whole Ten Commandments right there. And he has given a good answer to Jesus. And so that's one part of the collision. The art of the part of the collision, though, is here is Jesus who, is, who represents the gospel. Does he not? After all, Jesus is the gospel. He's the one who's going to go and die on a cross. And these two things are now coming together in this little story that we see here. You're like, I thought this was just a story about a guy who got beat up and he gets rescued. No, it's much bigger than that. The gospel and the law now are colliding. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. You see, because the law is important. I don't know about you, but early on in my Christian experience, I was trained to think that the law was bad, that law is terrible. I want to tell you, the law is good. Galatians chapter 3 tells us this, the law was our guardian until Christ came. You know what? Without there being a law, you and I don't know when we've done anything wrong. Now that may sound appealing, but, but I dare you to drive in a third world country where they don't have traffic laws. It's not for the faint of heart. Because there's no law. No one's regulating this. I mean, it, it, you want to really know what chaos is? Is when you come to a traffic circle in a third world country. Some of those people go left to right instead of right to left. That'll really mess you up. Don't try that in one of the ones in New Albany. They frown on that because there is law. But understand, apart from law, we don't know when we've screwed up. You see, the law condemns us. And you're like, I don't need to be condemned anymore. Yes, you do. You need to be condemned to the point that you'll repent. The law condemns us. It necessarily shows us that we cannot, by ourselves, meet the standard of God's holiness. Let me say that again. The law is really helpful because it shows us that we can't do it. Just... For instance, consider the Ten Commandments. I'm guessing that just about every one of us in the room this morning broke at least one of them already today. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. We can't keep the law. And what, what, what has happened here now, and what I want you to see, is that at this point, at verse 28, Jesus says something really important to him. He says, you've answered correctly, but he doesn't just stop there. What does he say? Do it, and you will live. At that point right there, we're in a big crisis. And this lawyer is at a big crisis. And here's the crisis that he's at. There, there's two responses to this. One he can readily accept this, and he would cry out to mercy to Jesus, I can't do it. you got to help me. That would be the right response, right? Have you, ever, have you ever been in a situation where maybe your boss just piles so much up on you, or your parents pile so much up on you? Teens, you, you live this every day, right? Your, your parents put so much on you, right? Right? I mean, they, they, they want you to get up, and they want you like, to brush your teeth, they want you to put your dishes in the dishwasher. 
mean, that's terrible stuff, isn't it? No kid should have to do that. I know, I'm a big kid. I understand this. But, but they, you get to the point where you're like, I can't do this. That's where this guy should have been. And I want to tell you, every, every one of us needs to come to that point. I can't be holy enough, God. I can't do it. I can't even keep commandment one of having no other gods before you. I just can't do it. That's where, he wanted, that's where Jesus wanted him to go. But he gave the second answer, and he gave a very lawyer-like answer. Do you see it there? If you're a lawyer in this room, I love lawyers. Don't get me wrong. But don't you expect a lawyer to give an answer like, let's get to the technicalities of this, right? Let's explore the technicalities of this. And that's what he's going to do now in verse 29. Desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who's my neighbor? Well, just tell me who my neighbor is. You see, here's the thing. He's doing exactly what Paul describes in Romans chapter 10. We got to go to Romans 10. Come on, quickly, let's go to Romans chapter 10. I want you to see this. He's doing exactly what Paul describes in Romans chapter 10 that people try to do, that I tried to do with God, that maybe you've tried to do. Maybe you're doing it right now with God. And this is what he describes. In Romans chapter 10, in verse 1, Paul makes this great statement. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer for God, for them, is that they might be saved. He's talking about his, his, his native people, the Jews. He's like, my heart's desire is, is that they would be saved. Then he goes on to describe them in verse 2. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. And, and, and there's many of us, and it may be you in the room this morning, that has a zeal for God. I just love Jesus. I don't really know him, but I love him. And I want to do what God wants me to do. I'm striving to do this. I'm trying to figure out how to do this. But you're also in verse 3. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own they did not submit to God's righteousness. And here's what this lawyer is doing and what many of us do with God. On one hand, okay, I want eternal life. That's a good thing, right? I want to live forever in heaven, right? Okay, but I want to do it on my terms. That never works. Let me just say it again to you. That never works. You will not have eternal life on your terms because God is the author of eternal life and God is sovereign over all. He gets to set the terms. And the terms are this, that God is a holy God and that God can't, because he's holy, he can't abide sin. And here's the problem. Every single one of us is a sinner. We sang that this morning. Our sins are, great. Our sins are many. His mercy is more, right? Isn't that what we just sang? Every time we sing that song, I'm just like, yeah, my sins are many. And then I'm like, yes, his mercy is more. And so here now, this lawyer in verse 29 of Luke chapter 10 is at this crossroads. And he's like, okay, I could admit that I can't keep the law, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to try and get Jesus on a technicality. Who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? And so Jesus is going to define for him what the test is here. And the test is a four-letter word, love. 
I'm, I'm guessing that most of us in this room this morning, we'd say this, oh, I just love God. Just love him. Sunday morning, we sang his praise in church. We saw the wonderful people from Operation Christmas Child. We, we saw pictures of Haiti, and I just love God. Just love him. Here's the true test of your love for God, is how you love your neighbor. And so he starts into this parable. And here we are with only like 15 minutes to go in the message, and I'm finally getting to the parable. Because you know it so well. But let's understand a couple things. It's about 15 miles or less from Jerusalem to Jericho. It is the worst terrain in all of Israel. Someone who visited there said this, it is a terrible, hostile wilderness of petrified ocean of waves tossing mountains high. Picture that in your mind. All these rock formations that look like waves and they're just tossed everywhere. There's cracks, there's crevices, there's deep ravines. There's plenty of places for guys who want to do bad things to hide out. You say, why are the priests going to Jericho? Well, it was estimated at this time that 12,000 of the temple priests made their home in Jericho. Okay? It was like temple southeast from Jerusalem. 12,000 of them lived there during this time. So it wouldn't be unusual for a priest to be on this road. Okay, Jesus is describing something that these people had seen. Most likely there really is an inn somewhere on that road. They know it very well. Maybe Bob is the owner. I don't know. But he's describing something that they know very well. And, and he's describing something that the Jewish people are going to love because the way it starts out, it's like Jesus is indicting all the religious elite. And we love it whenever people who are in charge get nailed to the wall, don't we? Don't we? We love a good political scandal when someone gets exposed for being the fraud that we all knew they are, right? And that's what Jesus is doing, supposedly, as they're starting here. So verse 31, he says, okay, here comes a priest. He comes down the road. He finds this guy who's been totally beaten up, left naked and half dead along the side of the road. And the priest comes by, and the priest knows, Leviticus 19, 18, that you're to love your neighbor as yourself. The priest knows, Proverbs 21 and verse 3, that to do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. He knows all this. And now it's going to be put to test. You know, Proverbs 21, 3, to do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Here's a guy who's been in Jerusalem. He's probably been sacrificing. He's on his way home. How do I know he's on his way home? Because he's going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's like a 3,500-foot uh, drop in elevation, okay? So as he's headed home, he's now confronted with this. He's been sacrificing. He's been very religious. He's very holy. In fact, he's very holy, right? And now his religion is going to get tested. And as he comes, he sees him. And I guarantee you, if you see somebody naked and bloody and half moaning and dying, you know they're in trouble, do you not? Everybody agree with me? There's no question. He's not napping, right? And what does the priest do? What's he do, church? You get the picture that he just kind of puts his nose in the air and just goes, man. He can't be bothered with this. So as Jesus tells the story, the, the Jews sitting in the crowd are like, yeah, nail the priest, man. Nail the priest. Okay, next person comes by, verse 32, a Levite. Say, who's a Levite? 
A Levite is a guy from the tribe of Levi who is trained to be an assistant to the priest. They know the law. They have to know the law too. Okay? They're, they're accountable to the same law and they're accountable for the same knowledge of the law. But they're kind of a, they're like a class lower than a priest. So what Jesus is doing here, he's like building down. And so the people are thinking the next person in this story, because the stories in that part of the world were always told in threes, the next person he's going to talk about is the common man, and we're going to be the ones who are going to save the situation. The, least, the Levite encounters the same thing. What does he do, church, when he sees them there? The language seems to indicate actually with the Levite that he actually approaches and goes closer. The language in the original kind of indicates that he might even take a step or two towards the guy. Maybe he gets a twinge of guilt, but eventually he does what? I'm out of here. Deuces. Gone. Then we have a surprise. Because as I said, the Jew would expect that, that the, blue, the typical blue-collar Jew, the fisherman, the, the guy who sells in the market, that guy, he's going to be the hero of this story. And Jesus then, when he comes to verse 33, says, but a Samaritan. Say what? A Samaritan! I don't think you and I understand the significance of Samaritan. The Jews absolutely hated the Samaritans. They were a mongrel race to them. They were half-breeds. They were the ones that when the Assyrians invaded in the Old Testament, they intermarried and they had kids with the Assyrians. They're traitors. Okay? You want to talk about racial problems, there's a racial problem right there. Okay? This Samaritan, though, sees this guy all beat up laying there, and the Bible says this, that he had compassion on him, that he moved to him, that he, that he, that he bound up his wounds, he poured in oil and wine. By the way, where did he get all that oil and wine? It was his own, Right? He, he sacrificed of his own accord. He puts him on his animal. He takes him to an inn, and, and he stays with him that night. He doesn't just drop him off and say, innkeeper, keep him. No, notice, he stayed him and brought him to the inn, verse 35. The next day, he takes out two, day, or two days' wages, hands it to him, hands it to the innkeeper, and says, hey, Bob, take care of this guy. When I come back through, I will pay you what I owe you. Okay? So you got the picture of the story in your mind, right? So Jesus asks the obvious question now in verse 36. Okay, lawyer, verse 36, which, which of the three men proved to be the neighbor? Okay, this is not a hard question, right? And he gives him the answer in verse 37, the one who showed him mercy. Okay, that's obvious, right? The true neighbor is the one who will show mercy. Okay, and then Jesus pounds like a hammer, and he says this, you go do likewise. You go do likewise. And so at this point, we have to understand something. The priest and the Levite didn't show love and mercy to their neighbor, and we have to ask why. Did they know the right thing to do? Did they know the right thing to do? Is there any question that they knew the right thing to do? No, they're not ignorant of the law here. They're the ones who keep the law, right? We have to ask ourselves, why aren't they doing it? After all, they're all about keeping the law, are they not? And they want to make sure that you are keeping the law as the common person, right? Why are they not keeping the law? Because here's the thing. 
Go back up to verse 27. What's missing? They say they love God, but they tru- if they don't love their neighbor, it proves that they don't love God. They truly don't love God with their whole heart, mind, soul, and body. And here's the thing now. The lawyer at the end of this, we have no idea how this plays out. Okay? It's one of the frustrating things about this. We don't know what happens with the lawyer. But let's understand this. When it comes down to the point where Jesus says, you go and do likewise, he is not saying to him, if you just take care of the poor, I will let you into heaven. What he is saying to the lawyer is this. And what he's saying to you and I is this. Stop trying to do good things to earn eternity because you can't do it. You absolutely cannot do it. You are not going to bat a thousand when it comes to taking care of people who are beaten up on the side of the road. How many of you travel into Columbus every day to go to work? How many of you have driven by somebody with a flat tire on the side of the road? You broke the law. Not, not the New Albany law or the Columbus law, but you broke God's law, didn't you? Treating your neighbor as yourself, right? How many of you, when you're broken down on the side of the road, would like to have had some help? Right? And what Jesus is masterfully doing here is, is he's saying to us that you and I cannot keep the law. We can't meet God's standard of holiness. But we know what? The beauty of this is we don't have to because he did. We don't have to because he did. I'm not excusing our sin in saying that. But what I'm saying is this. You and I can't be righteous enough to please God. Let's just say that you leave here and you're so inspired by what you heard this morning that you're going to like, I'm going to live righteously. And you might even say it this way, I'm going to live righteously and holy. It's more holy if you say it that way. Say it with, come on, just say it with, holy. You're going to live holy with me? Here's the thing. Tomorrow morning when you wake up, how many of you are going to feel like being holy? You might make it through Monday, but then maybe your boss is mean to you tomorrow. You're going to be holy? Well, I can, do, I can be holy maybe for a day. Then Tuesday's going to roll around. And you got to wake up to that same standard of holiness. i got to be holy on Tuesday. And maybe you can make it through Tuesday, but then Wednesday comes. And here's the point, folks. You and I cannot be as holy as God is. Can't do it. See, that's really a bummer of a message, PD. The take-home isn't just to go home from here and work harder. Because you can't work hard enough. The take-home is this. The take-home for the lawyer is the same take-home for you and I. You can't do it, but that's okay. Jesus did. This message is all about salvation. Go back up to verse 25. What is it? Remember, what is the key question here? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And the answer is this. You can't do a thing, lawyer. And that's the same answer for you and I. There is nothing you can do. There is nothing that I can do to eternal life. Jesus did it all. The old hymn has it right. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. You and I can't keep the law. And it's demonstrated in the fact that you and I can't love our neighbor as ourselves. 
The only way that you and I can love our neighbor as ourselves is when God's love has transformed our heart. It's kind of a cart and horse thing. If you think that I'm telling you to leave here and love your neighbor and you don't love God first, you've got the cart and horse all mixed up. The first thing that has to happen in your heart is this. You have to embrace the love that God has for you. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he did what? <laughs> he gave his only son that whoever would believe should not perish but have eternal life. This lawyer wants to earn his salvation. The sad reality is this. If that lawyer doesn't get it right, he is in hell right now because you cannot earn your salvation. The only thing that you can earn is a one-way trip to hell. The good news is, is that if you by faith receive what Christ has done, you can have, you can have Jesus' righteous perfection put to your account. Isn't that an amazing thing? I mean, just think about it. I can only speak of it through my own heart, my own life. I know how unrighteous I am. Do you know how unrighteous you are? I know how unrighteous I am, but here's what I know, that, that when I was 12 years old, I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ because I understood that I couldn't do anything to please God, and, and he put Jesus Christ's righteousness to my account, and then when God looks at my heart, you know what he sees? He doesn't see my unrighteousness. He sees the righteousness of Christ. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? And the whole point of this parable is this. Not even the good Samaritan's going to get it right every time. He gets to be the hero in this story, but, but, but the good Samaritan doesn't get it right every time, does he? No one gets it right every time. Jesus did, though. Jesus did. And every one of us, at some point in our life, comes to that crisis point that the lawyer was at in verse 28. Do this and you will live. We come to the realization, I can't do it. I can't do it. Maybe that's your point today. If that's your point, can I just say this to you? Run to Christ. Run to, run to the one who has done it all. Maybe you're the child of God in this room this morning. What's the point of this for us? Well, if we've truly been transformed by the love of Jesus, will we live like the Good Samaritan? Will we? Yeah, we will. If we had time, we'd look at the, 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 the first epistle to, that John wrote in, in John chapter 4, where, where he clearly makes the case that those who are truly in Christ, who've been transformed by his love, will love others. Not just in syrupy, sappy ways on Sunday morning, I just love you. No, love that takes action. Love that takes action. I mean, what good would it have been if the Samaritan would have walked over to that guy and said, hey, I love you, I'm going to pray for you. Hang in there, dude. I'm with you. I'm going to go down to Jericho and I'll send somebody to help you. Not that kind of love. The kind of love that takes action, right? The kind of love that takes action. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Aren't you so thankful for that? Aren't you so thankful for that? That, that, that we can't keep the law, but he did. Father, Thank you for this time that we've had this morning. 
we've been able to hear what's going on in the world in, the, in, in focus of missions. We've been able to sing your praise. We've been able to hear from your word this morning. What a shame it would be to leave here and not have been changed by your word. So I pray that in these final moments, you would work to change our hearts. For those who don't know Christ as their Savior, may today be the day of salvation. May they seek one of us out. May they seek your face. May they realize that their self-effort will earn them nothing with you. And may they find mercy 